0: Thank you guys for inviting me to, uh, to come and to speak. Given this is only our second time at camp, I was somewhat surprised that I already got invited to speak at it. Um, I figured you guys are either the most loving and welcoming group in the OPC or the most desperate uh, to have somebody like me come and speak. But really, it's an honor. Uh, so thank you for, for having me. I was given the question. For my talk tonight, is uh, what is a Christian home? And before I launch in, I just want to recommend to whoever's on the uh, the board of this, the uh, the committee, that uh, never give pastors such latitude. What is a Christian home? I mean, my goodness, I could I could go on for hours. We could talk and talk and talk tonight, but I won't. All right, let me uh, let me jump in. It's good to start with a definition. I think, when we're talking about what is Christian home. And as I thought about this, as I reflected about the, on this, it seemed that this definition best fits. Home is the place where we belong together with those people to whom and with whom we belong. Home is the place where we belong together with those people to whom and with whom we belong. Now, see, that's what I said, broad, right? But think about it. What do you have, kids, what do you have if you don't have people? And you think of home, you don't have people, what do you have? You have a big, what? Yeah, you have, you have, you have cats, dogs. You have an empty house. You just have a building. Right? We don't think of our house as our home if nobody's in it. On the other side, if you don't have a place where your family, where your people can meet together, then you're like a homeless person. You're a, a migrant. You're dislocated. So again, definition of home. Home is me with my people in my place. That's home. And home, even the very idea of home, the reality of home, it has a way of grounding us. It has a way of orienting us. It gives us comfort. Home gives us warmth. Home gives us a sense of belonging. Home gives us a sense of our identity, who we are. Home even gives us a sense of our purpose, our calling why we're here we can get all of that in a way from our home the desire for home to have a home to have a people and place of our own is is a basic human need a basic human desire you think about in the news those people from countries like syria uh, that have been dislocated from their ancestral lands, from their, their places of dwelling, and now they're, they're migrants all over uh, Europe feeling homeless, feeling dislocated. Or on the other side, you think of people who, very early, maybe they were babies, they were given away. They, uh, they never got an idea of who their family was. And l- many of them lived their lives wondering about that. There's television shows about that where people are trying to find their people. Without home, we feel somewhat alone. We feel somewhat adrift, kind of cut off. Well, my talk tonight is not about just that idea of home in general, but specifically about what is a Christian home. And I'm going to set a broad, kind of a base foundation for us, I hope, for the rest of this camp and the rest of the talks you're going to hear. What is a Christian home? Well, again, think place and think people. We have a home as Christians. We have a home that truly and everlastingly satisfies those deepest longings that we have as human beings. We have a home. Our Christian home is a gift from God to us in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. We are not, as Christians, we are not lost or adrift, and no matter who we are or where we are, we are not alone. We have a home, a gift from God to us in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, we have a place and a people of our own, a place and a people that can never be taken from us because they're ours in Jesus. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, we hear amazing good news that through Christ and in Christ, we who were at one time... Drifters in this world, we who were separated from God and from each other, we have been brought near. And we were told in, there in that passage that we're no longer aliens, we're no longer refugees, but we are now, the Bible says, members of the household of God. The household of God. And that word household is virtually the same as home. We have a household, a people, and a place that's ours. And we're told in that passage that we're being built up in Christ into a holy temple, that we are ourselves a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are His house. Think of that. And think about that, kids especially. You guys are... The house You're the dwelling place of God. When God thinks home, he thinks of you. God resides in his people. The same good news is announced to us in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. It says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God has a household, and that household, that home, involves a place, a dwelling place, and we're told as Christians that we are that dwelling place. God has a home. God has a people and a place, and according to the Bible, we are it. We are his home. We are the church, the living, productive household of God. But God has also prepared a place for us. For our Christian home, we need a place, and God has prepared it. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, there we're told that our fathers and mothers in faith, they dwelled on the earth as refugees, as strangers and aliens. They looked homeless, but the Bible tells us they, they're not homeless, and they never were homeless, because God, their Savior, had prepared a place for them a better country, a better city, a heavenly one. Theirs was faith directed to that place that God had given them, had promised to them. There's was the faith and the hope of the psalmist. Some of you will recognize this psalm immediately. Psalm 8410. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Throughout the ages, God's people, not only the whole world, but God's people specifically have longed for and patiently waited for the day when God would bring us home, when God would bring us into that place that he prepared for us. And we knew that our desire for Home was not and could not ultimately be satisfied anywhere in this world, this present creation. Within us, we knew that God had created us to be with Him in heaven. And our hearts, as Augustine said, are restless until they find that rest in Him, with Him. So we endure, as Christians, as our fathers and mothers in the Old Testament, we endure this journey through this world, through the valley of the shadow of death, because we believe that our shepherd is with us and that he is guiding us to our home, our place. Psalm 23:6. surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the lord forever god made us this promise that he had a place for you and me he had a place for his people isaiah 32 18 my people will abide in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings in quiet resting places and of course our lord jesus you kids probably remember this passage our Lord Jesus affirmed that promise. He said, "Do not lay up tre- for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust de- or rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Matthew 6:19-21. And it's not without reason that our Savior taught us to pray. You're talking about our Christian home. Our Savior taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, Christian home, right there. Our people, our place, our God, and the place that he has prepared for us. Jesus promised that he would bring us into that place, that he was preparing he said, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you? But I go to prepare a place for you. And I go and prepare a place, and I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. John fourteen two and 3. Paul said the same thing, the Apostle Paul. He said, Our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3. Verse 20. And then our heroes in the faith, like John Calvin, they wrote about this place, our home. John Calvin said, If heaven is our homeland, what else is earth than our place of exile? Indeed. Where God resides in the fullness of grace and glory, that place he's prepared where we will stand forever with him, glorified in his presence, that place that's already ours in Christ. He's already given us this as an inheritance. That's part of our home. That's our place. But as I said, home is more than a place. So we're on point two. Home is more than a place. Home is a people. Home is my people. This too God has graciously given us in Christ. We are God's people, and God's people are ours. This might not have been the way you thought I might approach what is a Christian home, but I think it's important that we approach it this way. Because listen, to those Christians in this room, to those Christians who who are orphans in this world, To those Christians who are childless. To those who are fatherless. To those whose fathers and mothers, maybe they disowned you or rejected you. To those whose families may have been killed or who just simply died of old age and you're the only one remaining. To the divorced among us. To the singles among us. To the widows and widowers among us. You are not alone. You have a people of your own. Again, the psalmist expresses it well. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. Psalm 68 Verses 5 and 6. And again, Ephesians 2. No longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. See, there was a time when none of us belonged to God's family. We might have had large families in this world, but we didn't belong to God's family. There was a time when we were cut off from the line of promise where we were all Strangers, and we were at enmity with one another. We hated each other. We were divided. But through Christ, we've been brought together. One new man from two in Christ. The Son of God, though eternally one with His Father and with the Spirit, He had a home. Nonetheless, He came into this world so that His Father might be your Father, our Father so that we might become part of his house, his family. Our jaws should drop to the floor when we read, Jesus answers his own question, who are my mother and my brothers? And then he looks around at the crowd and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is my home, Jesus is saying. This is my family. The church is our Christian. This is the family that the Lord God himself, through the work of Christ and in Christ, has given you. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 12 and 13. You can also read Romans 8, 14 through 17, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. The Spirit of God has brought us into the family of God we've been adopted in. Now, since this is our home, this is our Christian home, wherever God dwells among his people, that people and place of our own in Christ Jesus, I want to stress the fact that this, the nature of a Christian home is first and foremost, it's, and this is a big word, but it's, it's covenantal. The nature of our Christian home is first and foremost covenantal. Covenantal, that means, kids, it's something that God has put together in a bond. A bond. If we seek our home, our ultimate home, our people and our place in this world, in in our race or our bloodline, in our nationality or our cultural identity we will lose sight of our true christian home and fall into the snare of the devil in other words what's the deepest most fundamental bond that we have together as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in christ it is that our bond is not in flesh it's not in blood. It's not in this world. It's not in the fact that we're all American citizens or maybe we're not all American citizens. It's in Jesus Christ. That's the nature of our bond. That's our family tie right there. This means, again, that our bond is covenantal. It's, it's, grant, it's um, grounded in the gracious, gracious salvation of God. We relate to each other You can think of it this way. We relate to each other not primarily as related by flesh and blood, our genealogies, nationalities, and so forth. Rather, we relate to each other because, well, we've been baptized. Think of it that way. We relate to each other through baptism into the household of God. Adoption into the household of God through Jesus Christ we who are related even to one another by blood, we would do well tonight and throughout the rest of this week to reflect upon the fact that our, even we who are related by, by blood, we are, are, our primary and most fundamental relation to one another is not that blood that we share, but it's that covenant that we share. It's that Christ that we share. And because our, our bond together as Christians is in Christ, um, our Christian home is Christ-centered. That's point four. We have to be Christ-centered through and through. That's how you can tell. There's a Christian home. We are baptized into Christ. God's covenant with us is in Christ. We are not natural sons and daughters. We're adopted. We're covenant children bound together in Christ who purchased us by his blood. So we relate to God and to one another in and through Jesus Christ. I can't spell out all the implications tonight. Hopefully we'll hear a lot of implications, practical details throughout the rest of this week about what that looks like. But just start thinking about it now. We relate to one another in and through Jesus. How does that affect the way you speak to one another? How does that affect the way you think about one another? That's my brother or sister in Jesus. That's one who I will stand next to before the throne of God forever. That's one who was purchased by the blood of Christ that one is a new creation in jesus christ see how it affects your thinking when you think of each other that way it's not just oh she's my sister we have the same parents that's my sister in christ she's a co-heir with me of all of the blessings of heaven that christ has won for me and for us for his home that changes everything about how we would relate to one another. Now, the world relates to one another or to itself in all too familiar ways. We know what that looks like. Just watch the news, look around the world. Strife, wars, divisions, hierarchies, totem poles, hatred, rivalries, envying, lying, impatience, self-centeredness, abuse, Sexual immoralities, apathy, indifference. That's not how you learned Christ. That's not what a Christian home looks like. That's not the spirit that governs a Christian home. When you guys are fighting, brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, when you guys fight with each other, think of does that that look like a Christian home when we do that? We have one spirit we love one another in Christ, should we be kicking each other and punching each other? The Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. The Bible tells us again and again to love one another and in this way in loving one another in christ and putting to, to death those old ways of the world you will bear witness that in fact you belong to a christian home yours is a christian home now let me switch gears at this point and think of our christian home in terms of what it does the economy of a christian home christian home is a living productive household Again, think about what we heard in in Ephesians and in 1 Peter. Our Christian home is a place of worship. We are, the church is, a temple. We are the place where God dwells, and that means we are members in this house. We are priestly sons and daughters whose lives are to be offered up to God daily and as a living sacrifice to Him. We belong to Him. We live for Him. Our Christian home, then, if you think about it, has a purpose. It has a calling beyond itself. It doesn't exist just for itself. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for God. The word for home, you adults probably would like this more than the kids, but the word for home in Greek is oikaios. And it's a word that is related to our English word economy that's why i'm saying it, it sounds like it right economy or oh, chaos it tells you something about it the word for home it sounds like a word and is related to a word for our word economy economy means doing something it means human action so a christian home bristles with activity it is a living productive household it is not static a christian home is not dead it functions, or to put it in the biblical terms, a Christian home bears fruit. It bears much fruit to the glory of God. And here's something we also need to remember in terms of this economy, the functioning of a Christian home. Each and every member of that household plays a significant role, an important role. Fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, all serve in the household of God. All serve God and serve one another, and God is serving all of us. This is the way people of heaven live. We live now in this place out of our inheritance in heaven. We're giving back to each other what God has given to us. Each member of a Christian home confesses and sees as their calling and their chief end, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Now in this Christian home and the way it functions, there is authority. Authority in a Christian home. In a well-functioning, well-oiled Christian home, God is the head. God is the authority over all. He's the owner of the house. He is the patriarch of the family. Christ is on the throne in heaven. He's the head of the house and the source of its life. And this Christian home of ours only bears fruit as it abides in Christ and faithfully keeps Christ's commands. But Christ, the head of the house, has delegated authority to others in the house, to his servants. He's delegated that authority to fathers and to mothers. He's delegated that authority to grandfathers and grandmothers, uncles and aunts, brothers and sisters, elders, pastors, deacons. He's given this authority. He's delegated his authority. And as it's delegated as it's been given to us by christ um, means we don't define the nature of that authority or how it ought to function he does authority and how it's exercised is defined by god alone in his word now what does authority look like in a christian home What does it look like? And think about that, and think in contrast to what it looks like in the world, what does authority look like in a Christian home? Well, let me read a passage of scripture that explains what it looks like. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility and "'Count others as more significant than yourselves. "'Let each of you look not only to his own interests, "'but to the interests also of others. "'Have this mind among yourselves, "'which is in Christ Jesus, "'who, though he was in the form of God, "'did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, "'but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, "'being born in the likeness of men, "'and being found in human form, "'he humbled himself by becoming obedient "'to the point of death, even death on a cross.'" See what that will do in a Christian home if that's the way authority looks? This is why husbands are commanded not beat your wives, not be cruel to your children, not treat them as though you're the king of the castle and they're all there to serve you. They exist for your sake. No, in the Christian home, husbands love their wives. And parents are called to Not be harsh with their children, but to lovingly rear them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the kind of selfless, God-honoring, other exalting authority that you should see in a Christian home. Let me say a quick word, too, about communication. You guys remember the Tower of Babel? Remember what happened? They They were building this tower. They thought they could build it all the way to heaven in their sinful pride. And God came and confused their languages. Right, kids? He confused them. They couldn't talk to each other anymore. They couldn't communicate. And guess what happens when you don't communicate? Work stops. Same thing in a Christian home. In a Christian home, communication is vital. Think about how God governs us. God communicates to us. This Christian home, this church, is governed by God's Communication to us, God has spoken to us. He's told us how he wants us to live and what he's done for us. So also, in a Christian home, there needs to be communication. Communication that takes its cue from God's own word. So you read things like James 1, 19-21. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger supposed to be doing a lot of listening in the Christian home and we're supposed to have our speech gracious seasoned with salt that we might know how to answer each person Colossians 4 6 this is really important and I hope that this message comes across all week this idea of communication in the discussion I hope we'll have a lot more to say about it as well in the Christian home you guys need to be clearly regularly intentionally honestly communicating on both ends listening and giving i'm for myself i'm very good at listening and i don't like to disclose anything i'm one of those types i'll 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 listen to you all day and i'll fact i'll ask you more questions just to make sure i don't get a question back at me don't let me do that this week like make me give back But that means, you know, to get really practical about it, that means let's turn off the electronic devices and the social media, take out the headphones, and let's communicate with one another. Not just this week, but regularly. This way we can enjoy and live out our inheritance in what's called the communion of the saints. And in a Christian home, there are examples that we um, do well to follow. The Lord Jesus, he sets the whole pattern and we follow him. But his image is also being worked out in every member in the household of God. His image. So you can look around and you can see Christ in one another and you could emulate that yourself. Look to those, Scripture says, imitate those who imitate Christ. We all learn of Christ, and we are all seeking to follow him together. Remember, this isn't an individualistic faith. It's community. We're all following him. And as such, we can learn from each other. Christ is alive in each member. The Spirit indwells and empowers each one of us. So we can learn of Christ by looking to the Christ-like example of one another. And quickly, um, callings in a Christian home. I've already made reference to this a couple of times, but there are many members in this Christian home, many parts, Ephesians 4, 4 through 8. There's one body, one spirit, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, he led a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. We each have gifts. We each have Callings, we each have a part, a function to play in the economy of the Christian home. Kids, too. You guys are not just receiving from your parents. You guys are also giving back. Teenagers, you guys have a lot to give. You have a lot to give to the Christian home. It doesn't function well, in fact, unless you are giving. Singles. We're gonna talk about this tomorrow, but you have a lot to offer. In fact, you have something that nobody else can offer because of your status and your calling. And of course, married couples and men, men, women, each one of us has a calling. Each one of us plays a part. So I would encourage you guys, don't think of your callings, your careers, your jobs, whatever role you might have in a family as unimportant or unrelated somehow to the kingdom of God. Nobody is the appendix Of the body of christ we're all necessary and then finally in summary so what then is a christian home christian home is where i am with my people in my place and my people at the end of the day literally my people are christ's people those who have been purchased by his blood, those whom God has graciously given to me and me to them. And home is my place, that place where Christ, that Christ has prepared for me, where he is, that place to which he will one day bring me that I might reside there with him forever. And that's your place, and your people as well. Christian home is, it meets wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. It meets in corporate assemblies where larger groups like this get together for a sort of family reunion with our Father, with our elder brother Christ, with the Spirit. The Christian home also meets in individual houses, individual places throughout this presbytery, throughout this state. Again, our Christian home is not determined by flesh and blood, but by the covenant, by baptism, by adoption, by incorporation in Christ. And never forget that. The purpose of a Christian home is to serve and glorify God, each one of us and all of us together, to produce the fruit of righteousness that pleases God, And to this end, each member contributes, helping, encouraging, setting examples for one another, building each other up in love, until we all together attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Ephesians 4.13. Thank you.